why do we believe that the 27 books of the New Testament are the books of the New Testament canon? Because there's nowhere in any of the books of the New Testament canon that says these are the books that you need to have. So it must come from somewhere. And since that list doesn't come from scripture, where does it come from? Capital T, tradition. Can we say that, you, that the tradition is equal to scripture? No, that'd be foolish. But if you start messing with capital T, tradition, you're going to change the teaching of scripture. You said the church, the evangelical church has really like de-Christianized mm -hmm. the church for the culture. And so you're kind of like, in your view, you're kind of like, you have to rework to rebuild that. We have to rework to rebuild that. Yes. Could you could you speak into that? Because I think a lot of people are going to go, well, you, what do you mean we have people coming into church? We're seeker friendly, all that, you know? There are three ways that Jesus deals with people in the Gospels. He deals with the religious hypocrites with a scathing, fiery rebuke that would be terrifying to hear. Like you look at the woes of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. I mean, it is... It's terrifying. When he goes in and he cleanses the temple and he chases out the money changers and everything, like I, I, zeal for your house has consumed me, the apostles, you know, quote the, the psalmist. We know in the gospel accounts what it's like when the power rolls off of his body in Luke's account and the people are trampling them, themselves just to touch him. So power's rolling off of his person, healing the sick, driving out demons. What kind of power rolled off of him as he cleansed the temple? When he rebukes the Pharisees, you know, he's not, he doesn't speak words that are just words like you and I, and ours aren't just words either. But he speaks, and if he wants to, the words he's saying will create what he intends. Literally, molecularly, call from nothing something. The fire in his, his I mean, he makes John the Baptist seem not fiery. The second way that he deals with people, and this is to the repentant, the tax collectors, the the sinners, the prostitutes, the wine-bibbers, as he's called. His compassion is equally inexplicable. Like the way that he extends grace, he doesn't, he doesn't snuff out the smoking candle. He doesn't break the bruised reed. He resets, he restores. He, I mean, it's just his gentleness, as, as, you know, as he says to Jerusalem, when he's weeping over the city, I would have gathered you, gathered you together as a hen gathers together her chicks. That the, the profound compassion. But then there's a third way, and this is how he deals with the crowds, and he deals with people this way sometimes. But he deals with this way, deals with almost everyone uh, when he's preaching to the crowds. It's not as a seeker-sensitive model at all. He says things to genuinely create confusion. He says things so that in seeing, they don't see, and in hearing, they don't hear, and that their hearts can't perceive. But to the people who want to know, he'll give them the answers. In early Christianity, there was no stadium evangelism. Stadium evangelism. There was no social media evangelism. There was no post signs up on the board evangelism. There was nothing like that. The only stadium evangelism was when you were being martyred. All the evangelism was secret. Like even the creation of the fish logo, right? How all that yeah. came about. Everything was different. And a world that was incredibly pluralist, plural, pluralistic. We have taken a modern approach to take away the, the, the contours of Christian faith because we want to be relevant because the Apostle Paul was everything to everybody to reach people. We become everything to everybody and reach no one and instead change the practices of the church that have been longstanding tradition to accommodate people who never really repent anyway. We've done the exact opposite. I'm all for being seeker aware. 
being seeker sensitive, knowing that people are looking to know. But we don't change the doctrine. Matter of fact, we don't even change tradition. We only we only change tradition, capital T, because you've you got capital T tradition, lowercase traditions, and then you've got customs and practices. And all, this, all of that is like a, you know, it's a linear decline. The capital T tradition, you, you can't change it because if you change it, then you are in a real way, you're starting to change scripture. Now, depending upon what kind of Christian background you're coming from, whether it's Roman, Orthodox, Anglican, some other group, that, that's quickly understood or difficult to understand. So let me use this as an example, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it because we could go into more argumentation about it, but it's an example. Why do we believe that the 27 books of the New Testament are the books of the New Testament canon? Because there's nowhere in any of the books of the New Testament canon that says these are the books that you need to have. So it must come from somewhere. And since that list doesn't come from Scripture, where does it come from? Capital T, Tradition. Yeah. Mm, okay. So can we say that, that the tradition is equal to Scripture? No, that'd be foolish. But if you start messing with capital T tradition, you're going to change the teaching of Scripture.